is the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast. It is, yes. <laughs> this is the... <laughs> and you are welcome to be here. <laughs> Thank you for having me. This is the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast. Coming to you from a less sweltering hot Beverly Hills. Now that we've figured out a home <laughs> version uh totally like macgyvered air conditioning strategy yes. this is the central air <laughs> as designed by plastic surgeons in a very hot <laughs> office without air conditioning <laughs> this you, is a nice system i really like the system you've set up but here you see there is a c down that hallway it's in yeah. the or because of the hvac system yes so though the building is not being cooled we have drawn from our own our very own hvac system and are bringing the air Cool air. We got a straight line of doors held strategically open. There is a fan that is directing the cool air into this room. (laughs) That's from growing up in Jersey. Because in Jersey in the summer, it's so hot you can't believe it. And one of our homes did not have central air. We had an attic fan and we lived on a mountain and cool air would come down the mountain. And so we counted on the the attic fan. You would leave the, the lower... All the windows basically screened in on the ground floor where the air coming down. It didn't matter if it was 98 degrees outside. The air coming down that mountain was cool. Hmm. And then the attic fan would draw it through the windows on the ground floor up through the home and then out the attic and would circulate the air. Nice. It was still hotter than Hades. (laughs) But at least you got the illusion of of cooling. (laughs) Because there was some movement of the, it, it wasn't like you were living in, you know, a stagnant swamp that was, you know, 106 degrees. True. Back to plastic surgery. But that's not why we're here. <laughs> no. Although, should the whole plastic surgery thing not work out for you, you may have an air conditioning man job in your future. It's in my family, as a matter of fact. <laughs> Is it? Yeah, my grandfather, my mom's dad, was an air conditioning guy in addition to owning 11 newspaper stands, managing mm. boxers, and doing a landscaping business. He was nice. also an air conditioning and cooling guy. Well, there you go. And so my dad had to do a little bit of that, too, before he got his job with IBM. And once he got with Big Blue, it was over. Like, <laughs> everything else went out the window. He became a computer man. But I digress. Let's talk about closed versus open rhinoplasty. Closed versus open rhinoplasty. So this is a topic I am... More than a little hesitant to bring up with you, I fear the direction that this is going to head. There's a reason we have not done this topic yet. <laughs> Do you have your body armor on? Because I think I'm going to need it. <laughs> you, you may. Um, there's like riot gear over at the Beverly Hills Plastic Sur- uh, the Beverly Hills Police Station. We should probably have for this one with me because I it drives me bananas. It drives you bananas. So let's define some terms here. What is an open rhinoplasty? What is a closed rhinoplasty? So open rhinoplasty is basically, to break it, make it simple, there is a columellar incision where you cut the skin between the nostrils and you dissect the skin off of the cartilages of the tip of the nose and go up the bridge of the nose to the bones and it is an open approach where you are looking down on all of the structures. Right, you're looking at it right from the top. Right in front of you. The skin's been sort of degloved, if you can think of it that way. It's been turned up off the nose. You're looking at the structure of the nose directly from on top. 
as opposed to closed rhinoplasty, which is also known as endonasal rhinoplasty, meaning that you've made incisions within the nose, not on the external aspects of the, uh, and that's the other way to call open rhinoplasty is external approach to rhinoplasty. This is endonasal rhinoplasty, also known as closed rhinoplasty, where you do not have a columellar incision, and all of the dissection is done from incisions that are made within, inside of the nose that are not visible. Wait, wait, I'm sorry. So there are incisions in the nose. Yeah, it's not scarless. Huh. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm just not going to go down that road. I think I already did that, that rant on another podcast about... I, I don't like marketing terms that are deceptive to the public. It doesn't make sense to me. There is no such thing. It's a scarless rhinoplasty. No, there's still scars in the nose, and they can be, be problematic, by the way. In the nose. You just can't see them. That's all. Well, you can see them if you look inside if the nose. If you look inside the nose. <laughs> Some people do that. See, listeners, this is what I was talking about. <laughs> I got a picture of the inside of the nose today from a patient. Like, does this look okay? I was like, yes, it's fine. But that's the scarless term is not correct because it's really not right because of those endonasal incisions. So the incisions are around the nostrils and in between the cartilages and and, and along the columella, just not on the outside of the columella. So those scars can be a problem. Yeah, no, so they definitely even, can. Yeah, and they can cause airway obstruction. They can cause retractions. So to say it's scarless is deceptive. Yes. At the least. Yes. I think it's, even, I think it's worse than that, but I'm not going to say that. Because there's a lot of people that say scarless rhinoplasty. So why would you do one versus the other? So if I'm a patient and I'm looking at having a rhinoplasty, I mean, the idea of being able to conceal the scars inside the nose sounds favorable. So why wouldn't you do that for everyone? I would do it for everyone if I felt that I didn't gain an advantage by opening the nose. Now, here's the thing. All rhinoplasty is not created equal. What I do during rhinoplasty, what you do during rhinoplasty, and what you know, Dr. Orden does during rhinoplasty are three very different things. We all have different approaches. We all have different concepts of where we want to go with the rhinoplasty. And what we need to do to achieve that for our patients is completely different on a case-to-case basis and a surgeon-to-surgeon basis. So from my standpoint, I can do every... If you ask me to do every rhinoplasty from now till the day I die closed, I could do it. Would I love the results as much as if I do some open? No, because there are some advantages I gain with open in my hands, in my hands, not in everybody else's hands. There are surgeons who say, I never, with a capital N-E-V-E-R, do open rhinoplasty. I don't need it. It's not necessary. And I can do any nose closed. Good for them. They're not looking to do what I'm looking to do during surgery. I'm looking to do some things that are very specific to the look that I create, that are very specific to the tips I want to make. And can I do them all closed? Of course I can. Could I do them all open? Of course I can. Do I have to do them all open? No. Do I have to do them all closed? No. My goal is to pick the best technique for that patient to get the result that they are looking for. And so would you say that that typically, so historically the thought is that if you want to do tip work, that's when you should open the nose. Is that something what you adhere to as well? I, I open the nose specifically to do very specialized tip suturing, angling of the of the uh, lateral cura, support of the lateral cura that I cannot fully appreciate in an endonasal approach. Right. Now, right. if a patient says to me, I love my tip, 
It's it, like that's not the point. Just get rid of this hump. As I had a patient recently say, I'm not looking for much with this. I got a giant, a, a giant ass hump, a GAH. <laughs> I just want it gone. And my tip is fine. And like I know you can do some fancy pants stuff, but I, I want to heal fast. And, and you do heal faster. The swelling goes down faster with endonasal. And that's the good reason. If you can do it closed, you should. And, and I do lots of endonasal rhinoplasty, both primary and secondary. In fact, I probably do endonasal more on secondary than I do in primaries. But this patient was very specific. I, I, I don't need a lot. Like, it's, it's going to be fine with whatever. Like, the tip's okay. And I said, well, you know, I would gain more control over some of the scarring things that if I did this open, she's like, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's fine. It's going to be better. If I don't have this hump, my life has changed. And I was like, that is true. So I'm, I'm with her on that. The truth is, is if she hates it closed, you know, I can always go back and open and, and, do, it <laughs> and, open. and do what I call a completion rhinoplasty, right. which is what I do on many endonasal rhinoplasties done elsewhere. That's a very big part of my secondary practice is people get an endonasal rhinoplasty, the tip's not right, and then we open it and fix the tip. So that is the bailout procedure if somebody's not happy with their endonasal. But could you do all open? Sure, but then you have more problems with support, more problems with needing more grafts. So like with the open rhinoplasty, you need more to make it look the way that I'm looking for it to look over time. For sure. So anytime you do open the nose, you are taking apart very critical structures of the nose that support it and that keep it in certain place. And if you don't put those support structures back, that's where you have problems in the future. Absolutely. Even in an endonasal. So here's the thing that I know about nostrils, that nostrils are a ring structure. And this is we have a nostril asymmetry podcast coming, right? We need, coming. We need to do this soon. Yeah. <laughs> so. So nostrils are a ring structure. So whether you, whether you disrupt that ring by doing an open dissection and cutting ligaments that, that keep it supported, or whether you do a little cephalic trim from an, uh, an endonasal, a closed approach, and trim that cephalic border, you have weakened the ring. And the ring always buckles at the weak point. That's what happens with rings. Rings that are weak will break at the weak point. So if you weaken that ring, you have to put something to support it. This is the subject of a little YouTube video I did with the residents from USC where I talked about how the, what are the sort of the three to four ways to support the nostrils and how you can use them in combination sometimes if you really have problems with support for the, for the lateral crura, which is the cartilage that holds the nostril open. And so what would you say would be the biggest downside then of doing an open approach for the patient? time to get full healing. It does take a full year before the tip edema goes away. It will look fine along the way because typically it's better than the nose that they had, but it's not fully healed until like the collagen fibers cross link and contract. And that's six 12 months. months. Yeah. 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 It's 12, 12 before it's kind of finished. It doesn't really start till six months. And then I don't see noses fully healed until they're really two to three years out. I mean, so that's the thing. With the endonasal approach, the edema goes out fast. You're not cutting all the little uh, lymphatics that are in the columella. You're not cutting the blood supply there. So people tend to heal very fast. Um, that's, that's good. That's good. And do you find that anybody has problems with the scar itself on the nose? In a very, very rare blue moon. Uh, you know, I, I can't. I can't say that every single scar that I've done is invisible, but a lot are. 
A lot of um, them are. A lot of them are. Some are visible. Some need a little little laser. I mean, it's it's rare. Like like maybe maybe like one in every fifteen hundred scars aren't great. Well, that's you. Know, people are concerned, and sometimes reasonably so, especially the patients that might be darker skinned. They come in, they say, "Look, I have problems with keloids. I don't want to put a scar on my nose because what if it keloids?" I've not seen keloids on the nose. The nose, for some reason, the alar bases and the columella incision are privileged areas, and I have not seen keloids. It doesn't mean it can't happen, but I haven't seen it. Have you seen that? I have not. I've seen some kind of ugly alar scars for sure. Well, the alar base scars. I, we the could do a whole base, thing yeah. on like those up the side of the nose yeah. scar. Oh, I can't stand them. Yeah. I just saw a guy this weekend on Saturday that came with these you know wicked alar base. They're not even alar base. They're alar nostril crease scars and they're just mm. not cool but that's not what we're doing we're talking about no. the columella scars no i mean sometimes you have patients that have had an open approach you can't even find their scars it's like did you i you said you did but i don't see your scar yeah I mean, they can heal really well they heal quite well yeah i mean this open versus closed thing is just a you know it's it's kind of an age old like it's great on a panel because you get you know, the surgeon that only does closed and he like tells everybody else they're a bunch of idiots for <laughs> opening the nose. And then you get the people that are open surgeons who say, you know, the closed surgeons are hiding from the truth. And it's like, no, I think everybody's just trying to do a good job for their patients. Like right. they really are. So, well, there is some, I mean, closed was the way it was done for years and years and years and years. And it wasn't until, I don't know what, a couple decades ago that yep. open started taking over. But I know some older surgeons who were like, ah, Open like they still you know are bah humbug about it. These young people these days with their open techniques. <laughs> well, they'll be dead soon. That's all I can say. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but the, it's the truth. I learned closed. I'm old enough that I was not taught open rhinoplasty until I really learned open in my like last year of my residency. It just wasn't big where I was located. Everything was done endonasally, and I did loads of endonasal rhinoplasties and. You know, it's just, you know, I, I don't know. I, I I do what I need to do to get the patient the result, whether it's closed or open. It's it's just a matter of, like, I want the patient to win. I want them to have a great result. And so if I can do it endonasally, I'm doing it. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal your line because I know it's coming. So look at the befores and afters. Yeah. Go to your surgeon. Look at their website, look at their befores and afters, look at their noses, and if you like those noses, then trust whatever technique that they offer to you, because those are the results you're going to get. Now, if you go to a surgeon and demand a technique that A, maybe he's not comfortable doing, or B, he doesn't feel is right for you, then you're not going to get the great results that you see on their befores and afters. And then they'll blame the surgeon. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) Which they definitely do. How could you do this to me? Well, you asked for it. That doesn't matter. <laughs> you should have told me I'm an idiot. I was like, well, I did tell well, I you. Did. I, did I did tell you were an idiot. <laughs> but you said, no, I, I don't need it. It's fine. I'm, but I have to say, for the most part, the patients that say I want it done closed, they're happy. You know, they, they get what they want because I won't do it if I think the result's going to suck. But I will, you know, and I, I can do plenty of tip work closed. I can deliver cartilages and I can tip suture and I can do all that stuff. Is it as awesome as if you open it? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I'm, I'm not saying it's not. It's it's a little more definite if I open it because I'm looking right at it. But just because I didn't open it doesn't mean it's not going to be awesome. You know, I, I think that that's sort of a, uh, 
you know that's that's sort of a thing that that people think is like just because you didn't do it with some technique like it, it goes back to this preservation rhinoplasty stuff you know like like do you do preservation rhinoplasty well yeah because i only operate the structures that i think i need to operate <laughs> you know so i do the things that i need to do to get the result you know do i like the idea of like you know destabilizing the septum and cutting the bones and pushing it down and hoping that it doesn't saddle over the years or that i get rid of the hump and don't ever no i don't love that stuff that's why i don't really do that um have i done them yeah i've done a few where i've cut them that way and they're fine but you know it's not my it's not my go-to because my my the noses i get are usually they're, they're usually really hard <laughs> they're just not easy well there you have it folks <laughs> Rhinoplasty's hard. Rhinoplasty's hard. It is. It is. It hard. is. It is very hard. That Anybody is. who thinks this is like easy, they 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 either don't do rhinoplasty or they're not doing it well because it is rough. I mean, there's there are things we can control in rhinoplasty, and there are things that we can't, and that's why these operations all have limitations. They all have residual issues that are not going to be perfect. And you just have to kind of, you know, go with the flow and, and, and work with your surgeon to get the best result that you possibly can. That is the key. So pick somebody that's willing to go there. I think that's it. I think you have it right there. Well, then there you have it. This is the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast coming to you from the 90210. Thanks for listening to the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast. If you want to reach Dr. Ravello or myself... We're available for consultations. We can also be reached through the websites. Dr. Vella, what's your website? My website is rovelloplasticsurgery.com. And the phone number to reach us here in the office is 310-954-1355. And I do want to mention Rock Spa, which is the sponsor, truly the financial backer of this podcast. And Rock Spa is the Medispa that's located both in Newport Beach and Beverly Hills providing Botox, fillers, lasers, microneedling, esthetician services like hydrofacials. We have incredible people. They do great stuff. And I highly recommend taking a look at the websites, rockspanewportbeach.com or rockspabeverlyhills.com. All the information is also on my website, drcalvert.com.